0: so let me give you a little background on how I got to Ephesians chapter 4 as I was reading through the Bible months ago uh, in Ephesians I got to uh, verses 11 and 12 in chapter 4 and in there is um, the reason why we do church and that is to equip the saints to do the work of the Lord. And the reason why that appealed to me so much, and again, this was months ago, was that that is a very important part of Scripture as it relates to Calvary chapels. That is how um, Pastor Chuck changed uh, the way he preaches, and it became a staple of Calvary chapels where we went the verse-by-verse teaching to get the whole counsel of God. So when I initially went... And Red was reading this. I go, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach out of chapter four. And at that time, I didn't even know when I'd be teaching or if I'd be teaching anytime soon. So, as I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to kind of teach on these verses and give the foundations of Calvary Chapel. And the reason why I think those type of things are important is, you know, when we first came to Virginia, there was Calvary Chapel radio, and you could hear it all the time, and guy's teaching, and it's not as prevalent as it used to be. So a lot of the uh, foundations of how Calvary Chapel started are lost to a lot of people, a lot of you sitting here. So it was my intention to do that. And then as things kind of changed and um, God opened some doors for us to either stay here or go to another property, I understood that that particular part of Scripture was really important for a church to walk in unity. And so that's why the Lord uh, had me in, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and that's why we're here now. He changed it a little bit of why I thought I was going to teach it, but he's in charge. So um, so let me give you a little bit, before we, we look at the exact verses, let me give you a little bit of the history of, uh, of Ephesians. Um, so Ephesians was written about um, A.D. 62, And um, Paul was writing it out of a Roman prison. It's the first uh, of his four prison epistles, the others being Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Uh, Ephesus Ephesus was a very large city in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, and it was a prominent part of the Roman Empire. So Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other city he was there 3 years on a second missionary journey so he was able to lay a foundation uh, a strong foundation uh, for that church and in Ephesians we see some of the greatest truths uh, of God so Ephesians really broken into two parts the first 3 chapters give us the riches that are ours in Christ and Paul writes what it means to be the church the body of Christ And our standing based on what Christ has done for us. All of it is because of God's grace. The last three chapters are practical in nature. So we learn how to apply these truths that we've seen in the first three chapters. And so our challenge today, as a church, and each one of us, is how do we apply these truths? That's what we're going to look at today. So as recipients of God's love his truth and his grace, we're to walk closer to him each day that he gives us. In the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, the key word is walk. And Paul charges us first in Ephesians 4, the section we're going to look at today, is to walk in unity. Secondly, he charges us to walk in purity, and that's the second half of chapter 4, first half of chapter 5. Then he charges us to walk in harmony. That's the second half of five, first part of six. And then finally, to walk in victory. And that's Ephesians six, ten through 24. So this morning, we're going to look at 1 through 16, as I said, and we're going to read that together. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself... Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, that's the reason for church. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the depth of scriptures. Lord, thank you for all that it is to us. Lord, how it guides our church. Lord, how it disciplines our church. Lord, how it shows your love for our church, and for each one here. Lord, help us never to take it lightly. Lord, use it now to achieve your will and the power of your Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we're first going to look at uh, verses 1 through 3. And so we see there that we're called to walk worthy, of our calling. What calling is that? The calling is that we are to be children of God by faith. So, with that in mind, how do we then walk worthy of that calling? And that's what we see in verses 2 and 3. The unity that is here, that is written here, is found only in the grace of the Lord. It's not that we're all the same, that would be uniformity. We find that in the army and in in the military. That's uniformity. Uniformity is in the mind. It's not in the heart. That's the difference between the unity that we would have in the spirit. So as born-again brothers and sisters, we can now say that we all have the same fathers, right? We might have different mothers, but we all have the same fathers. Think about that for a second. Each one of us here has the same father. What does that make us? That makes us family, right? So you'll hear us often from this pulpit say that we're a family. And that's not sugarcoating it. That is nothing but the truth. We are a family. We have the same father, different moms. And in a family, there's no discrimination. There's no skin color. There's no age discrimination. Most of you here are older than me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. There's no favored status for anybody. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. God is no uh, respecter of people, He's an impartial judge. That's what Scripture tells us. We're all the same, we're all a family. We do not need all the laws that the world needs to try and make everything fair. We do that without any of those things, right? We're all the same. We're all made in his image. You know, even, you know, if you're having a rough day or, and maybe you, you uh, run into somebody who's given someone else a hard time or you a hard time and you might want to say, you know, I realize God, he's made in your image, but, you know, you're having a bad day, and no, they just need the Lord. And, uh, you know, keep that in mind, you know, as you go through your life and your daily walk, we're all made in His image. And it does not matter, especially amongst us as family. Skin color, there's no, there's not a minority. We're all, we're all the same. We're bound together by our love for Him, and it gives us a unity, unity of the Spirit we see in verse 2. However... For us to preserve that unity, we must have the seven Christian attributes or graces that Paul lists here. The first grace, Christian grace or attribute mentioned, is lowliness. Some of your translations may have humility. Uh, We use the New King James translation in the church and um, we changed over 10, 12 years ago. Uh, And we do that because it's very accurate, but it's also very available. Okay, so just in case, I don't think we've ever explained that. Um, All right, so lowliness is the first grace we see there. So what's that mean? What's, What's lowliness or humility mean for a Christian? It means putting Christ first, others second, and self third. Okay, so others is and that's our family, and that's even the lost world. Because once you have, once you're saved, you got it. You want everyone else to have it. Someone once has said that humility is the grace that once you know you have it, you've lost it. And, you know, God does not want us to think more of ourselves than we should, or even have a false humility uh, about ourselves. He, he wants us to have a heart for him and uh, not to lift ourselves up. It's no coincidence that pride is dealt with first here because you can't get to the other six unless you get pride out of the way. And you, you know, Being a humble person is a requirement for the Lord. The six remaining graces would be unattainable without first putting ourselves behind Christ and everyone else. Sam Nadler, when he was here, shared that after salvation, it's about everyone else. That's a simple way to look at it, but it's a, it's a wonderful truth. All right, so first we have lowliness. Second grace here, or attribute, is gentleness. Again, some of you might have meekness. Being gentle or meek is not being weak. It is power under control. It is strength under control. We need to look no further than Moses. Numbers 12, verse 3 states this. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Moses was meek, but God gave him a lot of power. The Lord himself um, Some would consider, and he is and was, gentle and meek as he walked on earth. But he also overturned the money changers in the temple courts. So he kept his power and strength under control. I think we as Christian men can struggle with being a gentle leader. uh, And it takes some time to grow into that role. Ladies, can I get an amen? All right. Let's talk about you now. <laughs> um, and in the same way, it takes some time for a wife to go into that role that we see in 1 Peter 3, having a gentle and quiet spirit. Men, can I get an amen? So, think about it. It's about... Lowliness and gentleness, the first two Christian attributes that Paul writes here. It's not about being exalted. It's really about how low can you grow, right? It's about putting others in front of you, not caring about yourself. When, when we all get to that, and we all strive for that, that's when we'll see a continuing growth and maturity within our church, don't you find it interesting that in the four gospels Jesus only once describes himself in Matthew 11:29 Jesus in an autobiographical way says I am gentle and lowly in heart the first two Christian attributes that Paul listed Christ confirms the third one is long suffering and it's attached to being gentle Long-suffering literally means being long-tempered. And you don't hear that term very often. You often hear someone, yell, he's got a short temper, he's got a short fuse. That shouldn't be us. The ability to handle discomfort without fighting back is what it means to be long-suffering. Jesus gave us that example as he went to the cross. He knew it was coming. He knew everything about it. And yet, he was long-suffering. And then he waited for us to come to him, and he was long-suffering. We struggle with being long-suffering, don't we? It's difficult for us, and it's impossible when you're in your flesh. The fourth grace is bearing in love. 1 Corinthians 13, four says, love suffer, suffers long and hard. Love suffers long and hard. I'm sorry. Love suffers long and is kind. I hope it's not hard for you. Uh, Again, for us to bear with one another, we can't do it in our flesh. Uh, The unity of the spirit requires all of these attributes, but love is the foundation. It is what undergirds us. And without love, we cannot walk together. The fifth attribute that we see here, is endeavoring. And endeavoring means to be eager to maintain. So we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit within our church. right? That is, you know, it's a continuing thing. It's not a one-time thing. We do not create the unity God does by His Spirit. We have to work at it continually, endeavoring to keep it. Spiritual unity is not found in the structure of a church. Uh, It's found in the the quick fellowship that we have as born-again believers. When you travel somewhere or you go somewhere and you happen to run across somebody and then soon you realize, you know what, I think they may be a Christian. And then in that fellowship, in that moment, God blesses that time and your spirit and their spirit kind of connects And that is, that's just a small blessing, but that's the type of unity and fellowship that we have once you are born again. And it happens for believers, and it's regardless of race, nationality, or anything else that divides the world. One thing, though, when we think we have it all worked out, that's when Satan has a foothold. We have to endeavor to keep it. It's not a, you know, it's not we've arrived type of thing. We we will never arrive. We have to endeavor to want to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's a continuing work. The sixth attribute is unity of the Spirit. And we can't have unity of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit we see in Galatians 5. We have to use our time wisely, individually and corporately, to grow together in the fruit of the Spirit. Because that That fruit, God's scriptures, gives us wisdom. And it's wisdom from above. It's not from man. We get plenty of that nonsense outside. But when we're growing together in God's word and in fellowship and in prayer, that is when the unity of the spirit is most apparent. I mentioned before that unity is not found in the structure of the church. Uh, Structure is important, maintains order, but that doesn't create unity. Charles Spurgeon wrote about churches, and he said this It's not good for churches to melt into one organization because it creates this ecclesiastical organization that is a form of popery. I don't mean popery that smells good talking about a Roman Catholic Pope, Paris, okay? And so he wrote this in the 1800s. He, he died in you know, the late 1800s. So this was well before the abuse that we've seen within Roman Catholicism um, by priests, uh, and, and you guys know the story. I don't want to get into it, nor do I want to bash the Roman Catholic church. But the importance here is Spurgeon thought correctly that it's good to have Churches that are local bodies and not part of a a big structure like a corporation. And I want to quote him on this. Spurgeon said, division in churches never begins with those full of love to the Savior. That's a great truth. If we all love the Lord greater than anything else in our life, we won't have any divisions because that's not what he taught us. In in, I want to take this now and kind of um, kind of see show you how this relates to Calvary Chapels, because I I didn't understand the wisdom just a few years ago, but you know Calvary Chapel started uh, with, with Pastor Chuck Smith, late '60s early '70s, and he was already well into his 30s, had been in ministry for for quite a while, and there's never really been. Um, you know, an organization that oversees the local Calvary chapels. Uh, we have elders, we have four elders on our church, and, you know, our job is to lift Pastor Tim's arms and, and to serve with him and love him and help him in any way we can. But it is also uh, our responsibility to protect him and also, you know, keep this church headed in the right direction. In addition to that, we also have a church board, and there's, there's four on the board. Uh, Pastor Tim, myself, um, Pastor Tom Holman, for who he is sharing um, at Calvary Chapel Williamsburg, and Pastor Mark Ramirez in Fredericksburg. The board's job is also to make sure that this church isn't going in some crazy direction or doing something that wouldn't honor the Lord. So there's responsibilities with both being an elder and being on the board. And even you guys should be Bereans, wanting to under, you know to make sure that what is shared here is, is truth, it's God's truth. So the Calvary Chapel movement, which we're a part of, um, and, and movement's not even, I don't even know if that's the correct word. I think it was a revival. I heard Greg Laurie say it was a revival, and I believe that. Pastor Chuck was used by the Lord to start a revival uh, through the, you know, the Jesus movement and beyond. And we talk a lot about Pastor Chuck, maybe no one more than me. He's just a man, and, and you know we give him honor for how the Lord used him, but he's just a man, right? The Lord is, is over this church. When Pastor Chuck died a couple of years ago, before he died, everyone was wondering, well, what's going to happen to Calvary Chapels? And he, he said this, and I didn't understand it then, I understand it now. He said, we're not going to have one big organization that everyone reports to and whether, you know, and then you're going to state whether you're a Calvary Chapel or you're not a Calvary Chapel and are you with us or you're not with us. What he said was, the Lord is the head of the church. He's the head of this, this church and every local Calvary Chapel. And so the checks and balances that we have in place are elders and the church board. But... Pastor Tim reports to the Lord, and that's who he hears from. And so, you know, that is what we all need to believe is that Pastor Tim, who is the first among equals within our elders, hears from the Lord, and I believe that he does. So that kept Calvary Chapels from being a large church corporation, okay? We're all kind of stand on our own. Calvary Chapels, almost every single one of them, including ours, start as a um, Bible study somewhere, house. Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale uh, started in a funeral home, um, which is that's a tough that's a tough start, uh, and we started we started in a in a storefront and then moved um, from there. But so. There was such wisdom that, that Pastor Chuck had used to not have us be some big corporation. Um, so every pastor reports to the Lord, uh, not to some organization. The seventh grace and last one we see here is peace, as we see in the bond of peace. And our peace is found in Christ in him alone. Uh, so, if we can't get along with Christ, either personally or as a church, we're not going to have any unity at all. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. We should be thankful, people. You know, there's, there's probably nothing more frustrating for me um, and it's a bad witness, but for someone to be a believer and to, you know, ask them, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing, or how's it going? Well, it's, it's, it's going. Is that the best we can do? Hey, we, have, we have bad days, and I get that. But that should not be our nature to be, to lack joy or to be unthankful, right? We're... If, if we really believe that our time here is but a vapor, as we see in James, and that for all eternity we'll be in heaven, that's something to be joyful and thankful about. All right, so let's move on now to, to verses four through six. And we've looked at the seven Christian graces or attributes that we must possess to walk together. Now let's look at the seven truths that we must agree on. And we can call them the ground rules uh, for our walk together. And and as we look at these common areas, let's remember that they are greater than any differences we may have. The first first truth is walking in one body. The one body is the body of Christ, of which we are all members. And we became a member at our conversion. I like what um, Pastor Chuck said um, about when God looks at the body of Christ. Quoting, Quoting, He does not look at the name on the door of the church. He does not care if it says Methodist or Baptist, Presbyterian or Lutheran. The glorious thing about his church is you can't join it. You have to be born into it. And everyone who is born of God is in one body. Now, I said really well, I'm not going to try and mess that up. But um, you can't think, though, that because you're the member of the larger body of Christ and a born-again believer, that you don't need to be a part of the local body. Uh, you do. And there are scriptures that reinforce that. But it's in a local body that you get to exercise the gifts that he's given you. And, as we will see, it's all needed. It's all needed for us to function together. The second truth is walking in one spirit, the same Holy Spirit lives in each one of us, so we belong to each other in the Lord. The Holy Spirit's mentioned many times in Ephesians, so we know that it's important, but is it is essential to our Christian walk, both personally and corporately. The third truth is the one hope of your calling, and the one hope refers to Jesus' return for his church. We can't be afraid to talk about that. You know, do do you really believe it? I really believe it. That's what scripture tells us. We can't be afraid of those things. We can't be afraid to say those things to the world, okay? Because the world gets louder doesn't mean the truth changes. When we live out the peace that we have with joy, we become a peculiar group. And And I know that a lot of people think we're peculiar already, but... Um, but it makes them jealous, you know when we have that peace and joy that comes from the Lord, and I you know I, i've seen it i've seen guys get changed after they come to the Lord where they have such a peace now and a joy, and their life becomes a witness. that is what we need to have all the time, even though we might have been saved for a long time. We need to have that peace and joy, and we need to make others jealous that don't have that peace and joy and that's always a great door to open uh, with evangelizing uh, to somebody. It's great once they say, hey, you know, let's, it doesn't get you down. Why doesn't that get you down? You know, if you have a bad day or, "Ah, yeah, it's okay. That opens up a door to talk about the Lord. The fourth truth is one Lord, one Lord, he died for us. He's rescued us and he's coming for us. That is what we have together. When we acknowledge and truly live for the Lord Jesus, spiritual unity will follow. Lord is his title, Jesus is his name. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of this church? We need those to be the truths of our lives without really having the Lordship over you and, and this church, we're spinning our wheels. He is the Lord. He died for us. He's coming for us. And, and those of you that are born again in here, and I know most of you are, maybe all of you are, but if you have that, live it. You know, it's time to live it. it. Time is short right now. So he can be our Savior, but we also must make him Lord. The fifth truth is one faith. There is one body of truth given by Christ for his church, and it is the faith. In Jude chapter 3, Jude called it the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, we read, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, we may differ in minor matters uh, with other churches, but if they don't stray from the faith, we're still good. Um, Departing from the faith can happen within our church, within denominations so let's say within our church this is the type of thing that happens someone will say I have this great new revelation of the word red flag Um, and the issue becomes they get excited about what they think is something new that the Lord is showing them which it's not Um, and then they begin to Share that with others. And it causes confusion, uh, even dissension or arguments, and it's not necessary. They got to go. Pastor Chuck used to say, you know, don't go away mad, just go away. (laughs) He said a little better than me, but for me, they just got to go. Now, the reason is. It it breaks up our unity, and we can't have that, okay? We can't have that. Now, within uh, sometimes within churches, it causes a church split, or even denominations. You know, we have denominations that have split over these type of things. And what usually happens is someone has a new, and it's almost always liberal, interpretation of God's word. And if you think about it, it is because their interpretation is more like the world. And it causes denominations, churches, to have splits. Thankfully, you know, we are going to stick to the Word of God. And that's what's really great about traveling anywhere. You know, you go to a Calvary Chapel, you're going to get the Word of God. It's going to be verse by verse. And, you know, that's that's what's good for all of us to know, is that we're not going to stray from that. Another thing about this. You can no longer tell what a church believes by the name on the door. I have a, a, a friend at work, um, and he was and this was a couple of years ago and he he was saying that i forget why his pastor left but he goes to a large uh denominational church uh, in Newport News and a uh, prominent denomination and so they formed a committee to you know find a new pastor which is what a lot of a lot of churches do and um he said yeah, you know, we, we've had a couple of pastors come in and they've shared the word and we're kind of testing the waters and, you know, now we have um, this lady coming in to share the word. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and um, nothing against ladies, you know. I married one. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the idea is that that church, I would have never thought that, that they would even consider it. It it caught me by surprise. And, you know, I I just, you know, and and I went through scripture and explained why, you know, we don't believe that and why God doesn't allow that. We're going to get into that a little little deeper here in a little bit, but we really need to be hearing what's coming from the pulpits. And, you know, I've known uh, our pastor for a while. We were good friends before he was even an elder, and um, he loves the word, and he shares it in a great way, so, you know, you guys should be really, uh, besides the blessing of it, that it is, and, and we've had a few guys get saved recently, and, I, and, I, and I've told them both, I, you know, I know they're sitting here, and there's others too, but I've told them that, you know, how fortunate you are or blessed might be a better word. You are that you're getting good teaching right away. Many of us, I think, sat through some some junk, you know, for a while, and um, you know, there might be a few here saying, "Well, how do you know you're right?" All I know is the Word, and that's what we're going to continue to teach. So, all that other, I, and I heard a bunch of mess in my life. Um, I, I now know sound teaching when I hear it. And I know unsound teaching when I hear it. I can go on about this, but I'm going to go to the sixth truth, which is one, baptism. Um, Getting into a little bit of the part of the word within Ephesians that some people disagree on, but they can be wrong if they want to be. Um, Paul's writing about the conversion that takes place when you become a believer, when you are born again, that's the baptism he's talking about. He's not talking about being slain in the spirit. Um, he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about the baptism that takes place when we are saved. First Corinthians 12:13 reads this way. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. You could see how well that goes with what we're looking at this morning, right? So, again, if someone thinks that means, um, you know, being baptized in the spirit, they're wrong. Uh, Water baptism doesn't fit here. You have to look at the whole context of what makes sense, all right? Seventh truth is one God and Father. Paul emphasized the importance of God as Father five other times in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.3, 1.17, 2.18, 3.14, and 5.20. God as Father. Again, think of the context. Family, Father, well, the same for us. So, Scripture emphasizes God as Father. And in that we see the oneness of the body of Christ. We're children of the same family. We love and serve the same God. So we ought to be able to walk together in love as we serve him. Warren Wearsby points out very well that the Lord's prayer begins with our father, not my father. You see the idea of us being together as a family. Okay, so we've looked at walking together in the Spirit, one through three, walking together in truth, four through six, and now we're going to look at walking together in the gifts of the Spirit. So, the first six verses, we see what we have in common. And uh, what we have is unbreakable when we keep the flesh out of it. We also see that gifts are given to us, and they're not all the same. And that's what's cool, because when you think about a body, the body of Christ, we have a lot of different folks coming together, using their gifts, but they they join beautifully, perfectly, creating a a tapestry that we can't do outside of these four walls. So we do need to make a distinction though. There are natural abilities that we have, and it could be in music, you know, I'm never going to lead the worship team. Um, uh, it could be in the arts, it could be in athletics. Uh, when we get the leadership together and we have a, a football in an open field, you could see there are differing levels of athletic ability. <laughs> but in, in, in God's house. He gives us gifts to serve each other and to serve him. And it's beautiful the way it fits together. Now, these next few verses, um, also some disagreement as to what they mean. Uh, I'm going to give you the the straight stuff here on this. But um, we see a picture, first of all, how we see that the gifts are given given to us. Okay, that's what's happening here in these verses. But we see a picture of Christ descending to earth to free the captives. We're the, we're the captives, okay? He's going to set us free. Uh, we were once held captive by sin and Satan. God's a conqueror here. He's a conquering hero. Uh, we see also here that Paul's quoting uh, Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, uh, in verse 8. And so Paul wrote this psalm as a song. It's a, it's a victorious song of the conquering hero, which is God the Father, Um, and how Jesus had defeated death. Okay? So, there are some Bible teachers, some I highly regard, that believe that um, this section of Scripture is referring to a place called Abraham's bosom, and that's in um, Luke 16. Again, you have to look at the whole entirety of the Scripture that you're going through to make the right choice. Um, and what some people believe is that is that Jesus, after his death on the cross, preached in Hades. And there's two areas of Hades, one's called Paradise, and and he's preaching to the captives there. I don't see that at all. And um, again, looking at the entirety of what we're we're looking at, what I believe we see here is Jesus Descending the, to heaven, uh, descending from heaven to earth, entering time and space, putting on skin, dying on the cross, and ascending back to heaven. Just that easy. And there's a lot of things that we can look at to defend my position. The easiest one is on the cross, he said, It is finished. He didn't say, I have one more thing to do. He said it is finished, and he went back to the Father. So, kind of putting that aside, that is what people sometimes don't agree on. I think it's, I think we tend to make things more complicated than they are. But truly, in my heart, I, I, that's the way I see it: is that Jesus descended, died on the cross, and ascended back to heaven. And in doing so, he gave gifts. Moving on now, verses 11 and 12, which is why I am teaching this particular area of Scripture today. Uh, I want to read those verses again. And he himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body. Of Christ. Again, as I told you before I dig in, this is why Calvary Chapel goes verse by verse. This changed Pastor Chuck's teaching to expository, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible. Okay? So we're in Luke. I look back. We've been in Luke for, you know, over a year now, and Ezekiel longer than that. And um, eventually we're going to move on to other books, but it just goes to show, you know, we're not going to. Um, gloss over anything. You know, that's the reason why you go through the full counsel of God's word. You know, there's things that people don't like to, to teach on, um, but, you know, the Lord put it in there, and we're going to go through every, every part of it. Um, <clears throat> so, 11 and 12. So we see that God gifted men, and he placed them in the church. And you ladies are saying, I don't see that. But let's let's take a step back here. In church history, we have church patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Not matriarchs. Um, We have the 12 sons of Jacob. And I can go on and on. Um, you know, you might hear of Pastor Jane or a woman pastor. That's not in my Bible. Uh, and, and we're not going to compromise that. And <laughs> there's one verse that I can't get around. First Timothy 2.12. And Paul writes, and I do not permit, that's pretty strong words, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in a church. I don't know how you get around that. I can't get around that. It's Again, it's nothing, you know, we're all together as a family. It's, I'm not any more important than my wife. But he placed me in a different position. And that's what, uh, that's what we see in Scripture. So these governmental positions in the church are masculine. They're not feminine. Um, in the same way, Men are called to be priests of their home. The number one failing in our country today is that we don't have godly, well, a lot of places we don't have men in the home, but we don't have godly men leading the home. And if we did, this is what we would see. We would see a man who gives his family God's word to live by. Secondly, we'd see a man who protects his home from false doctrine. Third, a man who protects his home from evil, and fourth, a man who provides for his home. Wouldn't you like to live in that neighborhood? Yeah, I, I know I would. I mean, you know, not to, uh, you know, any neighborhood's good or bad, but in, in our country, we are lacking godly men, leading their homes, raising godly children, and, you know, If we had more of that, we wouldn't need so many prisons. We wouldn't have, you know, so many programs that the government thinks they need to come up with to uh, reach, you know, troubled youth. They'd already have the word of God. All right, so uh, in verse 11, something very important we see there. It says, he himself... That's, that's a strong statement. It just doesn't say God, God gave gifts. He himself, he's, Scripture here is telling us how important this is, that he gave by his grace these positions and the gifts to men to perform God's will in those positions. And that's very humbling to think about. He himself gave Pastor Tim to be the shepherd of this flock. And a shepherd feeds his flock. And so when I was ordained uh, 11 years ago, I don't know if I fully grasped what that meant to be a pastor. I believe I know that now. Uh, and it's, I don't take it lightly, and we should never take those things lightly. But it is such a high calling and it's a great responsibility. And here in Scripture, it says, He Himself, God, gives us pastors. And Pastor Tim was given to us by God. When the founding pastor left this church and, and to do another work, he said to me, The Word of God is in good hands. And he was right. Tim, pastor Tim understands the Word. And he feeds his flock very well. So uh, in these four positions uh, or places and gifts that were given, first one we see is apostles. Apostle means one sent with a mission. Now, very loosely, you could say um, that a missionary could be an apostle. That's not what I see here. Again, go back to what we're Talking about, We're t- you know, it's the foundational part of the church and and what our church is built on. So there are no apostles today, okay? And some of you looked up, saying, "Really?" And here's why. In the holy city, Revelation twenty-one, there are twelve apostles written in stone. There's not thirteen. They're not going to be thirteen. An apostle in the early church was one who could. Write Scripture. Today we have pastors who are adding and taking away Scripture, but an apostle uh, had the authority to write Scripture. Right? We don't see that here. We don't see apostles anymore who have uh, who could show us signs and wonders. Okay, that was what an apostle was. So the apostles were the early apostles of the church. Okay? So, very loosely, you know, people will say we have missionaries that are apostles. I'm not going to argue with that. But in this context of Scripture, we're talking about those who um, were the early part of the church. Secondly, we see uh, the gift that was left by Christ prophets. We often think of prophets, prophets as someone who gives future predictions. But in the New Testament, uh, a prophet is someone who brings the Word of God. And so I would consider Billy Graham a prophet. Billy Graham has met with 12 presidents, including President Obama. uh, And he's met with kings as well. And he's given them the Word of God. So you know what's interesting is the number one question, the most often asked question among them all, is when will, what will Armageddon look like and when? We would hope that they'd be asking, hey, you know, can you pray for me? You know, you know, what, how can you help me lead our country? But it, they want to know when everything's going to end. Uh, the third gift here is an evangelist. And an evangelist is the bearer of good news. Uh, Billy Graham has this gift as well. Uh, I would say Greg Laurie is an evangelist. Uh, Raul Rees is an evangelist. There's a lot of eloquent pastors uh, that does not have this gift for whatever reason. Um, but uh, certainly uh, those of you who know Greg Laurie and, and Raul Reese they're Calvary pastors, but you know they have uh, big outreaches, fill stadiums. And, and what's really kind of funny is Raul Reese. Uh, he was at the pastor's conference a couple of years ago. As a matter of fact, this church is really an extension of his church. The founding pastor came out of Raul Reese's church in Diamond Bar, California. Um, Raul Reese has a pretty heavy Spanish accent, and yet he reaches everybody with the word of God, and you know, people get saved uh, at his outreaches, as you've seen probably with Greg Laurie as well. So both of them as I see them, are evangelists. Uh, the fourth gift is that of pastor-teacher. And you, some of you might be saying, I thought it was a five-fold ministry. Now, pastor and teacher are connected here, all right? Uh, it is uh, one office, two ministries. And Pastor Tim is a pastor-teacher. Um, and so the responsibility of a pastor-teacher is to shepherd and feed the flock. And he does this only by the word of God. Entertainment will never take its place. Even fellowship doesn't take its place. That's not how anyone is fed. Okay, so you won't, um, you know, we're not the most entertaining group, I would, I would guess. But, you know, praise the Lord, we, we, we give the word of God. So, uh, so the word of God is the staff that guides and disciplines the sheep. And uh, God would not call someone to be a pastor if he did not give them the ability to feed the sheep. And so now, as God himself has given us these gifts, how do we grow and walk together? And we see that in verses 12 through 16, and I want to read those again. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about by every carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So, look what happens here. We're fed the word of God and we grow in his grace for the work of the ministry. And we're to be equipped for that service. So, um, you know, many of you who are sitting here serve in this church. You know, praise the Lord. And every part of it, is important if if you 're not serving yet, um, you should, and because the body needs it we all we all need that, so there 's a lot of ways to serve and, and i don 't know which is right for you, um, but while you 're waiting to understand what you should do, do something god didn 't call you to do nothing okay so Find what it is that you should do to serve others in the body. It's important. Uh, The body needs you. You know, it's not not like we're asking you to, we need more people in a children's ministry, which we do. We need more people in ushers and greeters and, and all those things. Yes, we do. But it's where God wants you and where he needs you that's important. So find your place, you know. While you're waiting to understand exactly where that is, do something. You could clean, I mean, something that doesn't require, uh, you know, a lot of spirituality is probably a good place to start. Um, The other thing that we see here is that as we grow in the word and as we mature, we understand what changing doctrine looks like when the church defines, uh, has a new definition for marriage, Problem. Okay, And it should be easy for us who are coal, Calvary Chapel home to, to see that and to know that. Um, when you hear foolishness from the pulpit, you should know it. If you see it on TV, you should know it. A lot of what the world uh, is uh, that we hear out there, and it's loud and it's getting louder, uh, is seeping into the American church. In fact, it's more than seeping in. It's overtaking a lot of it, okay? And we have to be very careful that we know the word and we're not afraid to stand on it, okay? Don't be afraid to stand on God's word. That's what he's called us to do. We're not going to change it. We don't need to tweak it. It doesn't need any help. It's a roaring lion. Let it do its work, Okay. Only the Word of God provides the spiritual unity that we will walk together with. And learning to do that and sharing the Word in love is a continuing effort for us. But we do see the evidence here of what God's Word, when it is shared in truth, what it does. I see this in our church. First evidence, verse 13, is... The spiritual growth of the flock will become more Christ-like. We serve, the Lord, we serve the Lord, we serve each other, and then we reach out. The second area in verse 14 is stability. We know foolishness when we see it, and we will not be moved. The third evidence, verse 15, is truth in love. Take takes some time to be able—you have to have a relationship to share the truth in love with someone— if you don't know them and you go up to them and say, shouldn't dress like that, shouldn't talk like that, or I don't know if that's shared in love. You, you need to have a relationship and you need to be able to share something with someone in a way that is not belittling to them. So the third evidence is truth and love. Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's how you do it. You do it in God's love to a brother or sister that you have some sort of relationship with. Lastly, number four, we see cooperation, verse 16. We need each other. We have a ministry here. Every part of this body is important. There's many of our brothers and sisters downstairs right now uh, sharing with our children. Uh, We had an usher out on a parking lot. We had ushers downstairs, upstairs, greeters this morning. I'm assuming I didn't see everybody, but I'm going to assume it. Uh, It's all important. You know, every every part of it. Those of you who are new today or maybe last week, I would think that you were greeted outside by the parking lot usher. And then, you know, as you came in, I would hope that you felt the, the love of God when you came into this church, not by just a few people, but by everybody that you would feel that. So every piece is important. So in in closing, let me give you this quote from Billy Graham. He said, The church isn't just a particular building or congregation, but the spiritual fellowship of all who belong to Christ. If we belong to Christ, we also belong to each other. Truth and love unites us, right? That's what unites us. The world's uh, definitions of truth and love are much different. And we can't change what our definition is. Um, So we want to grow, all of us, want to grow to be more like Jesus. And we're at a unique time for our church. Whether we move to another facility or we stay here. Amen, Lord, I'm good with both. And that's where we should be. But no matter what we do, it's important going forward, and it'll be more apparent the unity of our church as we move forward, or we stay here, it'll be very apparent um, how what our unity is, and and I'm not, neither is Pastor Tim concerned about it at all because I think that we truly do uh, love each other as a family, and care enough that you know if we have some things you know have to work at the other church and get some things done, we'll do that together. If we stay here, we're we're going to do some things uh, you know to this building, so whatever it is. You know, our unity will be apparent in the near future, so let's walk together in these coming months as a body of believers who bring truth and love to a lost and dying world. That is why we want to reduce our expenses, and the, God has opened up doors that we have not seen had, had not seen coming in th- you know three months ago, and now we're in this wonderful position that whatever happens, that's the Lord's will for us. We're ready for it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have given us gifts, that you have given everything that we need. And Lord, that at our conversion, when we were born again, you gave us your spirit and it unites us. We thank you, Father, that you are our Father. Thank you that you love us enough, that you have sent your Son to die for us, and that at the cross, where we are all equal, every one of us, your children, one family, in love with you, doing your work. Now, if you're here and... Some of this is foreign to you, and you didn't quite understand the family aspect of it. It may be because you're not born again. And I'm not going to be afraid to use the term born again. Jesus spoke of it to Nicodemus in John 3. It's an important part of Scripture. And to be born again, Scripture tells us, Romans 10.9, that confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved it's not complicated some of us count the cost and think it's a hard thing to let go of these things of the world never I don't think there's one person in here that will say man I wish I would have waited another year or two why? because we have a peace we have a joy that it is that comes with loving the Lord and serving the Lord. So if today you walked in here without the Lord as your Savior, if He's speaking to you now, stand up where you're at, and I will lead you in a short prayer, and we'll rejoice at the choice that you've made. So as we play a a song now, quietly, body, body, you pray. The Lord's speaking to you now. Stand up where you're at and join the family. Let's pray.